When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why would central banks buy gold? When central banks buy gold, they are exchanging it for their own fiat currency. They exchange their fiat currency, in some cases, directly for gold. They exchange it for dollars, then buy their bearish fiat currencies, their bullish gold. Every investor in the world wants to catch the wave of the next big trade. There's no time machine to go back and buy Amazon in 2013 or Apple in 2009. But what we can do is talk to the world's best traders about their next big buy. Join me, Harry Melandry of MI2 Partners, as we do exactly that on The Next Big Trade. Welcome to The Next Big Trade, and thanks for joining us. Um, This week, I have the good fortune uh, to be chatting to Peter Brandt. Uh, Peter is the CEO of Factor LLC, a global trading firm he founded in 1980, where he trades his own proprietary capital in Forex, futures, fixed income and equity markets. And, uh, you know, for me, it's one of the most striking things about Peter is he started on the business in 1976. I was 10 then. I actually had hair. So, you know, (laughs) I, I, I tend to pay attention to people with a lot of experience. Also worth noting, Peter's the author of Trading Commodity Futures with Classical Chart Patterns and the Diary of a Professional Commodity Trader. Peter, it's a great pleasure to meet you and thanks for coming on the podcast. How's life treating you? Yeah, hey, wonderful, Harry. And just looking at your picture there, maybe there's a way we can find an interactive uh, uh, game that what you have behind you, the, 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 the little hockey game will play each other online. I, I tend to play both my daughters. I've got a son as well. He's awful, but he's uh, five. I've got a seven-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old daughter, and they gang up against me playing it. I figured that one day they'd be like touring the uh, French countryside, and I want, you know, do it, do, <laughs> doing things I would disapprove of. And I wanted them to be able to impress the local peasantry, you know, with their table football skills. So <laughs> good for you. It keeps keeps them at home. So tell us about your next big trade. What's the investment thesis, the opportunity? The investment thesis, and I'll walk through the charts. I'll have you throw them up there and I'll try to kind of talk through the thesis and unfold the thesis as we look through charts. And Keep it. I'm not a macro guy, you know. I'm in a general rule, not looking at all the kinds of things that a fundamental, a global macro trader will look for. I look at charts, and when charts start to sing to me a macro chart scenario, then I try to at least, to some degree, tie in what might be going on on a fundamental macro standpoint to see if it fits. Is there anything that stands out like a like a sore thumb? My trade for 2023 is really gold. I, I think gold is poised for a significant advance. And I don't know whether that's in the next six months. I don't know if that's in the next year. I don't know whether we have a situation 
uh, like 2007 through 2011, whether it's the next four years. But I do think we're poised for gold to go up, to go up substantially and probably go up for, for a prolonged period of time. And I can talk through, I think, what I see in the charts area. And then I can talk through, I think, a really important point about gold is who are the buyers and who are the sellers? Because I think a big tale can be told right there. Uh, if you would throw up, I have uh, I have a quarterly chart, but that's a chart, Harry, that that looks at the price of gold that uh, goes back to really 1999. And you know we have to remember that gold tr tr traded bars of gold have not always been traded in the United States, unlike other portions of the of the world. We really started trading gold late 1960s, early 1970s. We go back to 1973 for a futures contract. And that's really the history of free market trading in the United States. It was banned during the Depression. And, you know, where, where gold started off at, you know, in, you know, under 50 bucks, had a big move to 100, uh, then spent the next few years all the way back, you know, down into 2000. One in a downtrend, and then we had this big run-up in gold prices uh, from that point that took us up to above 2,000. And you know, since 2011, we have been in a corrective mode in gold. And technically, in terms of classical charting principles, we've formed really a textbook cup and handle pattern where you know we we traded up above 2000 broke back down 1200 area ran back up here last year you know to 2000 again just on 2000 and then we've been drifting sideways and so that's just a classic cup in handle pattern now the, the way a, a chartist has to look at that is the bias is toward the upside and at some point we get a spot gold close, let's, over, let's say over 2,200. And at that point, you can say that the horses are out of the barn and they're running free on, 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 uh, you know, on the hills. And so, but until we have that happen, we have to continue to think we're gonna chop around in here just as we've chopped around since you know, the mid mid 200 uh, 2020 when we first ran up to, you know, 2150 on spot. And so uh, I, I'm going to have your guys show up this next chart, which is chart two in gold. And I'll talk through that and bring us along in the chapter. So we're now in the chapter two where we can take a look at what this handle represents is we went sideways you know, 1670 on up to 2150. Uh, we hit there in 2020. We ran back up there late last year. We went down and we had a bear trap, a classic bear trap. Yeah. And uh, in in you know that seems to be washed out. And so I, I want to tell a story about how the the retail trader, the gold investor, is out of this market. The gold investor has given up on gold. And what I have at the bottom of that chart in little yellow boxes, if they could see it, or grayed out boxes, is what's called the Commitment of Traders Report. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission maintains a report as to who owns gold futures. Are gold futures owned by commercials who are in the business and know the business? 
or are they owned by hedge funds or are they owned by little small retail traders who are trading 30 to 100 ounces at a time? And what you see right now is that commercials are poised bullishly. They have the smallest. Commercials are always short. Commercials are never really net long gold futures. They're always short because they're hedged. But they have the smallest short position they have had since late 2018, which you can see the little box. See what happens at late 2018. Gold bottomed and had a $700 run. And that is not unusual that when you get the commercials stacked up against the speculators, you want to be on the side of the commercial. You know, when commercials are heavily net short, you don't want to own gold. When commercials are lightly net short gold or even maybe a tad net long gold, you want to be looking for gold futures and gold prices to go up. So I'm, I'm going to take you to the next chart, if they'll throw that up, Barry. And what that shows is uh, really the commitment of traders for the small spec. This is not the commercial, not the hedge funds. It's the small spec. And it's that bottom line, the top thick line is spot gold prices. That bottom thinner line is the positioning of the small spec. The mon pa guy, the, the guy that runs in when gold prices are strong. And what that shows is that they, the small spec has been a seller of gold. They have liquidated their gold. And even during this recent turn up in gold, they continue to sell. They've liquidated the market. They've given up on gold. Now, I'm going to go to chart four, what they have in chart four. And I'm going to make another case for the small guy giving up on gold. And again, you have spot gold prices up above in the thick line. But down below, uh, what you have is the holdings of GLD and IAU, the ETFs. What you show there is net sellers. The small guy, the person that buys GLD, the person that buys gold ETFs, given up. They've thrown in the towel. They said, that's enough. We're out. Too much pain. We're done with gold. We're going to go on to something else. And, and so that really sets us up for a very interesting situation is that gold, the speculator has been selling gold, selling gold, selling gold. Now, Harry, that raises an interesting question. So who's been the buyer of gold? Absolutely. You know where there's a seller, there's a buyer, and there is an answer. We know that central banks have been gobbling up gold, gobbling up gold. As a matter of fact, the central banks last year and so far this year have bought more gold. And we're talking about gold bullion. We're talking about gold that's in bars for which delivery is taken, for which are stored in bank vaults. Physical. And yeah. Yeah, we're talking about real gold. These are the real gold players that own like 25% of the above ground gold reserves in the world. They are the largest buyer, have been the largest buyer of gold bullion at any point since 1967, just in the final years before the ownership of gold became legal. Now, think about that. You have a bear trap. You have a major cup and handle. 
you have a commitment of traders that indicates very positively toward gold. You've had a liquidation of gold by small speculators, both in terms of futures and in terms of ETFs. So you have big sellers of gold on the part of investors, speculators, big buyers of gold on the part of commercial. Why would a, why would central banks why would central banks buy gold? They buy gold because they believe more in gold than in their fiat currency. When central banks buy gold, they are exchanging it for their own fiat currency. They exchange their fiat currency in some cases directly for gold. They exchange it for dollars, then buy. So they're selling their fiat, their bearish fiat currencies, their bullish gold. Now, there's also, here's an interesting point. You know, people talk about gold being a hedge against inflation. And the reality, Harry, is gold has really not historically done well during periods of rising rates. Gold does best in periods of declining rates, falling rates. Now, at some point, either we're close or in the final stages of, of Fed tightening, of Fed selling and liquidating their book of, 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 uh, of debt. You know, so we're either at or close to what might be for this cycle, the high in rates, which means the next step is rates either stabilizing or moving lower over a period of time. So everything's in place. Uh, I mean, every possible thing is in place, as far as I'm concerned, to say, I want to be very overweighted in gold. Now, my typical weight in gold is 5%, and that's really my insurance policy against calamity, right? And so so overweight for me in gold is 10% net asset, you know, in terms of net assets. If I see an opportunity to be a leverage player, uh, where I know my risk and can figure out an asymmetrical reward to risk trade, you know, I can move in pretty heavily in terms of futures contracts where I can, you know, maybe go up to a 30 or 40 percent allocation with closed stops. And so I just think that the period ahead, we really need to pay attention to gold and gold miners. Let me touch on something, because right at the beginning, you said, you're not a macro guy, uh, you're a technician. Now, I am a macro guy, um, and I spend a lot of time thinking about what technical signals might be telling me about the macro world. But just for people listening in, uh, if I've got a situation where my macro hypothesis points in one direction, but the price action points in the other, I go with the price action every time. And in particular, I like it better when I've got a macro hypothesis that tells me something should be going down and everyone agrees with that hypothesis and the damn thing goes up. That usually is a really powerful signal that we've all got it wrong, we don't understand, and it's going to go a long way. And I don't fade those arguments because one thing I do know is I'm an idiot. I don't, I don't trade those personal <laughs> opinions. I don't put a lot of weight on it. It's taken me a long time to figure it out. But if, once you learn you're an idiot, it's hard to drop, you know, hard not to. And of course, you know, actually, really what I'm trying to do is remind myself to take the ego, tear it into little pieces and throw it away because trading is not about ego. Um, if you think it's about ego, you don't understand. So that's one observation. The second observation, 
I've been getting really bullish a long end of bonds. My colleagues have as well, Julian, uh, other colleagues. Um, we've been actually getting bullish gold as well recently, probably for the same reason. I've, I've been looking at long dated tips, uh, the uh, uh, February 52 tips. Um, that's just broken 150 today. Um, everything's kind of lining up uh for a run on on gold and bonds because let's face face golden bonds are correlated they trade together surprisingly often and i can you know there's a, lots of good reasons why central banks would be accumulating gold it doesn't help that we're splitting the world into these new trading blocks where we have allies yeah. of the united states and enemies of the united states enemies of the united states are not going to hold a lot of dollars because the United States can just cancel them. So uh, there are really good reasons why all sorts of central banks might be accumulating gold right here, right now. Uh, so yeah, I, I have you're pushing on an open door when it comes to me with this trade idea. Um, and I, you know, it's so first observation, how do I implement this trade? What should I do to put it on? What well, would you reckon? You know, the problem is when you buy bars of gold and it's, you know, for a relatively smaller investor, you know, it's the whole bars of gold situation is, you know, Europe has one standard bar, the U.S. and, you know, the smelters are making bars and, you know, it's hard buying one ounce bars. And I'm not a believer in numismatic premiums. And so I don't like coins frankly, because coins have, in my opinion, obscene numismatic, numismatic premiums. And you, you look at the premium you pay for an ounce and it's, it's, you know, it's obscene. I mean, I remember back in the 70s, we could buy Krugerrands for pretty much no premium at all. It was, you know, an ounce of gold and a Krugerrand sold for the price of an ounce of gold. But that's not the case anymore. And so, it's just a question if you want to own cash gold and bury it in your backyard, you know, it's finding the best price you can for a chunk of gold and not a numismatic premium kind of gold. And, you know, you'll put it in your safety deposit box or in your closet or in the backyard. Although for me, uh, I, I'll forget where it is. And that's that problem. But, uh, you, you know, or you own uh, an ETF. Now, some people say, well, you don't want to own GLD because GLD is paper. You know, there's this whole argument. You know, there, there's this whole there's this there's this whole conspiratorial theory about paper gold, about futures, about GLD, that it's paper gold. That's not worth anything. It's just paper gold. Um, and so you need to own some ETF that actually, at least reportably, owns spot gold. And you hope that they have some auditing record. Uh, we're, we're here in these crazy times with crypto where you're not really sure, uh, you know, what's backing the price of what asset. But, you know, gold ETFs holding cash going have been around long enough and have been thoroughly uh, audited enough that, you know, we we have to believe that they own what they say they own. And so you go own an ETF, uh, Sprouts or something like that, that actually owns cash gold. Mm -hmm. Or you own the miner where you're owning the ability to produce gold plus the dividend yield or earning power of that mine, if that's the case. 
which can be a really nice extra, right? I mean, that you you own the production of gold plus you own the earning power of the production. So, you know, for me, I would say, uh, you know, I'm a futures guy. So I, I own futures. I'm, I'm a paper gold trader, so to speak, although I own some actual. But, uh, and so, you know, I have no problem owning futures. I don't buy the conspiratorial theory that it's just paper gold. The reason I don't is ongoing. There's deliveries. People are making delivery and they're taking delivery of Comex. If there was, if it was no delivery whatsoever involved in any of the gold contracts around the world, then I'd say, yeah, maybe the paper argument's true. But so I have no problem owning and trading. I'm a trader, so I'm going to trade. I have a base position. I'll own the ETFs. I don't mind owning GLD, but I'll own the ETFs. Um, I'll own miners, and I will, you know, up to 10% uh, of my assets, and I will trade futures uh, when the opportunity presents itself. And I have been trading futures. I had a, a pretty substantial futures position, not for which I, I took about half of it off here. Uh, a week ago, uh, I'm looking to re-add that. I'm trying to re-add that position. So that's where I am. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to express uh, a bullish position in gold. And by the way, I do like the interest rates a lot. In the last month, I have moved a considerable portion of my retirement, Harry, into into municipals, you know, into uh, nice high grade nice corporate at six percent plus, uh, municipals at five percent plus, you know, it's a great ten trade. years out, Beautiful fifteen trade. years out, lock it in. I'll hold it to maturity. I'm also interested in the buns. I like the German buns, and so yeah, uh, so uh, you know, I'm looking at that as a trade as well. But we're talking about gold here. So I just think there's a lot of ways to express or manifest a position that you think gold is going to advance in price. So I probably shouldn't be so easily diverted, but I am. And I got to say, I was looking at the muni trade as well for long dated munis in the, you know, in my case, I'm in Massachusetts, but with the tax break, long dates, and these things are trading real cheap. I mean, the big spreads relative to treasuries as well. So there's all sorts of what's not to like, you know, um, and we've got to do something with retirement accounts. There aren't that many appropriate assets for retirement accounts. So for all those reasons, I, I was eyeballing a fair clip of some very long dated uh, mass general obligation bonds. Um, but uh, just to touch on some of the points you just made. You know, some people, they do worry that in a really stressed out environment, uh, physical will decouple from well, physical is already decoupled, right? It's a trading at a big premium, but it will decouple sharply because sometimes governments can set aside contracts. Um, that can happen. Uh, it's not a core scenario for me. You'll probably know it's happening for all sorts of reasons, like the nuclear explosions in various places or whatever. Bad things will be going on. But yeah, I, I, I recognize the argument. I respect the argument, but it, to me, it's a second order or third order effect. Mm -hmm. It's not really a core part of the trade. Secondly, there's a carry. Um, and the carry does matter. Uh, I like the operational leverage of, of profitable gold companies. 
Um, to me, it's a bit like a call option. You get a little bit of uh, convexity in the trade. And, you know, yeah, that would be how I'd prefer to trade it if only I knew what the good junior miners were and not, what the, and not the bad ones. <laughs> so picking, pick, picking stocks is not a core competency of mine. But, uh, yeah, I can see that operational leverage plus carry, you know, dividends, whatever, that's a good thing. Um, so that one, and sometimes I also do these, I do, when I buy gold, I tend to buy it in calls and I've had quite a good track this year buying dips and, you know, getting this roughly right for a change. Unusual. Um, I probably, if I'm getting long of this stuff, would probably buy it in because I don't look all day at price action and I really hate to, to open up my book and look at the screen at the end of the day after I've written a note or done something else and find that the thing moved 120 bucks intraday and I completely, <laughs> you know, I was oblivious. Uh, and I know I could set stops and, you know, but I, uh, what can I say? If I do it in calls or options, I pay that premium, but the, the position auto self-destructs and I, I kind of value that. Um, so that's that's all very interesting. I, I it's hard not to think. But where's the entry point? You were showing me a cup and handle. That usually implies an entry point. So where would you get long of of gold here? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, I, I own gold. I mean, if, if we go back to chart two, probably best shows that if your producers throw up a chart number two, which is a monthly bar chart of gold. I just think anywhere, you know, down towards seventeen fifty. I mean, I mean, I, I, I would, I would think these recent lows we've made in the last couple of months probably are the lows. I, I mean, if we take yeah. out those lows, hey, I, I'm a guy. If there's, if there's one slogan that that, you know, really represents who I'm a trader, it's strong opinions weekly held. I have a super strong opinion here on gold. I mean, I have as strong an opinion as I generally would on any market. But I also believe that price doesn't lie. I mean, price is the ultimate truth teller. And, you know, for me, uh, if a price goes against me, I have to reappraise where I am. And so if we take out these recent lows in gold over the last um, I'll pull up a daily chart, but if we take out these recent lows in gold that, uh, you know, have, you know, down, really, you have to go back to 1600, you know, we go under 1600, I have to kind of reappraise and say, okay, I'm missing something. Yeah, you know, there are some of the really smart guys that have come way before me. Many have pointed out there's two components to a trade direction and timing. And if you're wrong on one, you're wrong on both. Uh, you're wrong on the yeah. trade. And so I really would like to be an owner of gold, you know, right now down towards 1700 in futures, just above 1700 in futures. I want to be long gold, 1725 area. I want to be long gold futures. 
But if we, you know, go back and close below these recent lows, which um, really are in the 1625 area and go below 1600 and see a one five as the first two digits in gold, you know, I've got to say, uh, I read something's wrong with my thesis. And if, if, even if it's timing, something's wrong with my thesis. And so uh, that's my timing in terms of being leveraged. Now, I don't have timing in terms of a base position, in terms of increasing the proportion of uh, particularly retirement money that is dedicated toward the idea of higher gold prices. And we're talking about ETFs there. Uh, and we're talking about gold miners there. You know, that I've up, that I've up from 5% of those assets to 10% of those assets. And I'm not looking at price day to day. I'll, I'll look at I'll look at spot day to day again. If spot goes down and closes below, you know one six handle, you know I'm going to have to look at those and see if they're healthy. If they're still performing well, particularly dividend payers, earning companies, you know then there's no reason to touch that. You know my general rule is you know if uh, if a trade is in a profit, I need to leave it alone. You know if a trade is in a loss, I need to deal with it. And so, you know, I'll have to I'll have to take those events as they come. No, absolutely. How should we scale this? You sound enthusiastic. I could see we're talking about something which could be a multi-year move. There's not, you know, obviously bad things happen to good people. So it's not impossible that this doesn't work out. Um, but that's true with yep. any trade. Um, and let me re-emphasize that again for the people who are late to the class. Um, there ain't no gurus. Don't listen to people. Do your yeah. homework. Uh, if people give you suggestions, then by all means, look at the suggestion. But do your own homework, too, because it's embarrassing to tell your wife that you lost money because some guy told you to do something. Um, so uh, that said, uh, what is my risk reward in this gold trade? What are you imagining the upside is? What are you imagining the stop sh where, where the stop should be placed? It sounded like seven, uh, sixteen twenty-five or so is a stop. Yeah, I, I mean, I think down there, I, you know, my target on gold really is mid threes. So I, I think that's what we're dealing with is a hundred percent advance from current spot levels. I mean, you look at the December futures in gold right now you know we're you know we're we're, we're trading 1730 1740 i think the, the the top of this cycle bull cycle in gold is is probably going to push four thousand dollars so can you talk us through how you get to that yeah. target uh you um... know i get to that target by you know the basis of classical charting uh, now, now you go back to the beginning on this, right? You, you go back to Richard W. Schaubacher, uh, 1933. Uh, you go back to Edwards and McGee, 1948. These are the these are the, the, the these are the granddads of classical charting, right? These are the guys that gave it the names, not cup and handle. Cup and handle sure. came from O'Neill, but head and shoulders, rectangles, all of that sort of thing. The general rule is when you have a period of congestion uh, where you go sideways for months, and in this case, sideways for 11 years, uh, and you you launch out of that sideways action, 
you you have a market that will travel uh, that will travel the distance of that sideways congestion in the direction of the breakout. And so, you know, if we 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 take a look yeah. at this cup and handle in gold, and you know, and then you you say, okay, that's that's where we're likely to go. If you're looking at a chart that's an arithmetic chart, you know, just a regular numbers chart, not not in log scale, you know, you you take gold to about three thousand. When you take a look at a chart in the log scale, which I believe when you look at multi-year, multi-decade charts, you look at them in log scale. When you look at crypto, you look always look at it in log scale because it's such a, a, a volatile new market. But most markets, you look at it arithmetic scale. And so you look at it log scale in that cup and handle, and it should launch a move to 3,600. Then if you ever get the right conditions, you ever get a feeding frenzy, you know, blow-offs of bull markets. You don't know where blow-offs of bull markets are going to go. You can't pick the top of them. And so, you know, maybe you overshoot. And, you know, we we, we see the market go uh, to 4,000. Now, I can get further targets than that, but I think those are two good targets think, to think of as you're, 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 you, you build – you compress price, you compress price, you compress price. It's like pushing a, a ball underwater. At some point, you can't hold it down, and it explodes out. And when you have these periods of congestion, you're compressing prices, compressing prices, compressing prices. You're building in macro fundamentals that we may or may not know of. And eventually, those become resolved, and that's when all this compression you know, implode, explodes. And, you know, so you never know where we go to the upside. We may go to four. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, beyond that, anyone's guess. You know, this kind of thing, I, I think of it as preparing the mind for the, the outcomes are fundamentally uncertain. But if you have thought through your trading plan that you suspect there's a possibility of a breakout, you suspect that actually there's a lot of energy that might be there to fuel that breakout for various reasons, like you know, if you if you're in a trading range for eleven years, all sorts of people will start to lean on that trading range in a way that perhaps they shouldn't. And uh, when it breaks out, uh, people are surprised and often find they have to chase it. Hedges maybe hedge too much. Central banks maybe thought they could buy more around that level, and suddenly they have regret problems. Um, and you know, I look at the world today, and there are so many really large events that could cause really large price disruptions, supply demand disruptions. I don't know why you'd sell vol on these kind of price moves. Anything that trapped trapped in a range could easily break out and go not anywhere, but really a long way, a shocking way. And we've seen that already with things like natural gas. We've seen it already with all sorts of prices. Frankly, the S&P itself just did a round trip that I was absolutely <laughs> flabbergasted by when it after the COVID thing, I, I did not see that coming. I was pressing on my shorts. Thing nearly ripped my face off. I'm lucky I got yeah. the house, right? <laughs> lucky. That's why I don't hold on yeah. to your views yeah. too strongly, kids. Um, luckily got the hell out of Dodge. But, um, yeah, there's, these things are moving a long way. We should not be surprised at having big – people have big ranges for where trades could yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, we've seen so many um, stocks – 
really in recent years do a 5x, 10x move, right? I mean, you know, we've seen cryptos do 20, 30, 40x moves. You know, I'm talking about a 2x move in gold. You know, that, that's how I'm, I'm really, really speaking to. You know, that's pretty docile yeah. when we look at what's going on with uh, with fundamentals and with price action and so many other asset classes. I mean, you, you tell somebody, well, I think I have a 2x move coming in two years and they go, well, I think I'll go sit in the rocking chair and, you know, take up needlepoint. And so, you know, that's that's pretty calm stuff. But in a market like gold, that's pretty significant yeah. stuff, especially when you're talking about sure. uh, the asset that central banks most prize. It, it will be meaningful. You'll see collateral damage. You'll see collateral effects. Oh, bankruptcies, many bankruptcies. Absolutely, absolutely. So you just mentioned crypto. Um, I think you gave us some more charts on this. I'm very curious what you're thinking. You know, I'm curious. Frankly, I'm nowhere near as curious as all sorts of real people. <laughs> Everyone's all over this, right? Everyone wants to know. A lot of people have exposure. What do you think? You know, hey, I'm a trader. And sometimes traders say things that m most uh, rabid individuals on crypto think, are absolutely crazy. I mean, how could you, you're, they don't get it. And, you know, I, I've, you've got these crypto, I, you have, you have crypto investors, you have crypto maniacs, and you have crypto cultists. And, you know, I've said from the beginning, I thought there was a 50% chance for Bitcoin to go 50, well, of course, we have gotten 50,000. You know, a hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand, a million. You know, name your price, and a fifty percent chance that it goes to zero. Now it probably never would go to zero per se, but people would say, "Well, why would crypto go to zero in effect?" And you know, we could spend an hour talking about new technology coming along, government restrictions, all kinds of. The type of things that we had with FTX, yeah, someone hacks, hacks the, mm -hmm. the, the formula, all kinds of things could happen, right? And so uh, people would say, what nonsense, you call yourself a trader and you say 50, 50, 50 to a million, 50 to zero. Well, when I look at crypto, you know, at 16,000, I go, what a fabulous asymmetrical long trade that is if you can catch it right. You know, 50% chance that right. I wouldn't write it to zero, but 50% chance goes down to 50% chance to make a bundle. Uh, but if you look at the history of gold and your guys can put up a chart that takes gold way back, uh, you know, 11, 12 years, what you see is that Bitcoin, and for me, Bitcoin's crypto, crypto's Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the legendary coin. It's the legend. Uh, and then there's all others. But, you know, if Bitcoin didn't exist, none of this other stuff would exist. And so I look at Bitcoin and it has this tendency over its history four times where it has a 5x, 10x, 20x, 50x move. And then after those moves, what happens is you go into a prolonged corrective period where Bitcoin prices go down to 80 to 85 percent. You know, it happened in 2011. It happened in 2014. It happened starting in December 2015. 
you know, 17, we have these long corrective periods that, that, that play out over a period of many, many months before we get a new all-time high. You know, the average has been 32 months. And so, you know, Bitcoin prices have come up 75, 76%. You know, if they come up 80%, we get down to 13,000, something like that. Uh, you know, if, if this peak to valley, the new peak takes 32 months, we're looking at a high in, you know, November, December, 2023, January, February, March, 2024. So, uh, which means we could bottom here, maybe it's bottomed. A good place to bottom would be when you have a major, major bad news come out. You have disastrous move where people say, mm. I just went out of this stuff. I, you know, I've been riding Bitcoin down from 50,000 and companies are going bankrupt and there's nothing but bad news. And I pick up Bloomberg and I pick up Barron's and there's, you know, cover, cover story on this stuff. And they say, I want out. And that's usually when you get a bottom of a market. And so, you know, I think, you know, Bitcoin could, maybe it's bottom, maybe it goes down to 13,000, 14,000. But, you know, we're kind of midway into this 32, 33 month period. So, you know, maybe we we're close to a bottom and we, we, we bottom out and we start back up. You know, I am, if there's, you know, Harry, if there's one trade, people came to me and say, give me your surest thing. Uh, Peter, I don't care about any of this other stuff. What market is a lay, what trade is a layup? I would say when I was born, the U.S. dollar was worth a dollar. The U.S. dollar is now worth seven cents, going on six. People that are born right now, 70 years from now, the U.S. dollar is going to be worth seven cents to them too. Fiat currencies will go down in value. That's a layup. That's guaranteed. So then the question is, where are you going to get store of value where you reciprocate your buying power of an asset? Where does that take place? And, you know, if you're looking at the world of crypto, crypto, I'm not interested in altcoins. I'm not interested in all of this crappy stuff. I'm interested in the legend coin, that Bitcoin. And I think in the world of crypto, what has the chance to be a store of value to preserve purchasing power over an extended period of time? It's Bitcoin, you know, and don't give me all of this other stuff. It's Bitcoin, Bitcoin, period. And so, you know, that's what I'd be looking at if you're talking about a store of value in the U.S. stock market, which I believe absolutely is a store of value, you know, is you pick a company that you'll believe will be around in 30 years. And uh, whether it's McDonald's, whether it's Apple, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's U.S. Steel, whatever the case may be, uh, Bank of America, you know, they're going to be around and that's going to be a store of value. Uh, so that's how I view Bitcoin as I think with all of this bad news, we could either be searching for a bottom or. Uh, we could have one more burst down, which would really blow everybody out. And that would be the let me out. I don't care if it goes, you know, it's, it's the guys that have been holding on forever saying, I will hold on forever. There's no way I'm getting out. I will hold on to this thing till eternity. Is There's a point at which they say, let me out. I don't care what Christ does. I've had enough pain. I just want out.
And when you finally get that final capitulation, whether we've had it, and we've had huge volume in the last couple weeks, so maybe that's been it, or maybe you have one more final big capitulating event, um, you know, that takes us down to 13, 14, whatever we've already, you know, been down in the 15s. So, yeah, so that that's my thinking. Um, there's a point at which, for sure, uh, I'm really interested in Bitcoin. So I agree with everything you said, except I, I'm never sure which company will be around in 30 years time. Um, let's just say I've managed to find several <laughs> that have failed yeah, to that's be around for sure. over 30 years. Um, I, I have a gift. Um, well, the S&P 500 is a good place to start, or the S&P 100. Yeah, exactly. 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 The rebalancing yeah. thing is important, right? So they keep, they keep putting yeah. you back into things which are alive. So you have that selection bias. And yeah, compared to money, it's been remarkably consistent. U.S. government has always managed to find a way to devalue the currency. Yep. And it's probably for the best, right? Who wants the price of houses to go down? Who wants the prices, price of the industrial base to go down? It doesn't help anything. Much better for people to be rewarded for their industry yep. than punished for it. So I'm I'm 100% in line with that. The, the, the question I asked myself with Bitcoin, I've got nothing right now. I've, I've dabbled. I've made nothing. I tried to buy it. I know people, by the way, and everyone I know who's done this is Chicago <laughs> based. So maybe you guys in Chicago have an advantage in things like Bitcoin. But I know people who have made retirement money out of the rally. Yeah, Bitcoin me and too. Exited I, like I 58K, something like that. Not me, though, by the way. Right. Me neither. I made absolutely zero. I'm just grateful I didn't lose much money in the thing. Um, my question is, you know, I've got to pick an entry point. I had thought Paul Tudor Jones's entry point of 11K was a nice place to do, but I, it may never touch, right? It, it's, it may be too low. Um, you're suggesting 14. Where's, if, if you were going to go above 14, where's that entry point? Uh, well, you know, the entry point would probably be would really be the high we made in, in June of 2019. So that's 13.8, 13.8, 13.9. So anything under 14, uh, which interestingly enough, you know, Bitcoin formed a classical charting, now classical charting, not global macro, formed a double top with tops coming in, you know, April 2021. And then again in November 2021, that double top, and we talked about targets and gold, right? I, I mentioned how you calculate that. Uh, target and gold, that double top counts us down to sub-14. You know, then we had what's called a descending triangle, which started in, you know, July 2022 until this recent jab down. That also has a target down in that. You know, so we have clusters. We have the double top target. 14. We have the descending triangle, target 14. We have the high that came in in 2019. And oftentimes what happened is bear markets go down until they reach support as represented by a high peak in the previous bull market. And so that comes in 14. You know, 14 plus or minus whatever your number is, 14 plus 500. So, you know, you got a cluster in there which you have to say, you get the final puke out of it, get another slug of volume, market goes down, all of a sudden NBC's headlines is 
uh, Bitcoin's worth nothing. Get out. It's all over. You, you, you get cab drivers talking about how they lost their shirt in Bitcoin, but you know now they're out and their wife's getting a divorce. So you get that cluster of stuff and you go, hey, if you're going to try it, this is a good place. You know, it, it, who was it? Was it Vanderbilt or one of those old guys who yeah. say, you know, how does he make money in the market? Well, when everyone wants to get out, he buys. When everyone wants to get in, he sells. You know, he, he, he facilitates the entry by everybody else. And, you know, that's how he makes money. You know, I think that's a good rule. But it has to be tempered with the fact that somebody doesn't put 100% of their assets into anything. You know, I, I mean, you know, at most, you, 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 you put in a certain portion. I, you know, I'm a believer in diversification. I'm a believer that there are times when, you know, you, you want to take safety in a treasury bill. And so, you know, you don't go crazy. You don't say, wow, Peter Brand said 13 and Harry was nodding his head. And therefore, I'm going to, you know, take a loan on my home and, you know, stick it all in Bitcoin if I can buy it at 14. <laughs> you know, that, that that's a fool's paradise. Right. So that's useful for me because I've been toying with that entry point, but I wasn't really sure where to put it. And 11K was, in, was one number, but... 14 sounds like I, I didn't think I'm going to I don't think I'm going to see 11, but 14 sounds like a nice target. Um, we have we're pretty much out of time. Um, if people want to stay on top of what you're thinking, um, apart from signing up, which may not even be possible, I, I don't think you're even taking new clients at the moment, are you? No, and just research. I don't trade anybody. I provide what my scatterbrain mind might be thinking from time to time, but yeah, I mean, they can follow me on Twitter with all the bots. I mean, you know, it seems like every bot in the world wants to follow me on Twitter. But it's, you know, at Peter O'Brant. And uh, they can see my crazy thinking and see how many bots also flood my stream. You know, I don't really get it. And I know I shouldn't, like, drag it on when we're already at the kind of maximum length for the podcast. But... I uh, I look at your Twitter feed quite regularly because, you know, you want to be timely in seeing new ideas. And you see people uh, say so many rude, stupid things. And you think, <laughs> what's the purpose? Like, what are you trying to achieve? How does this make your day better? Um, I don't get it. Like, if you want to, I wouldn't... I, I I don't I really don't get it, but I, you know I'm 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 okay with people with uh, shit posting. I'm 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 cool with that, but it's just naked abuse sometimes, right? Uh, it's just terrible. You've got to have thick skin uh, to to be on Twitter because every crazy in the in oh, in the I, world comes out I, at you, and you never know where they're coming from. Anywho. Peter, it was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. And for me, really useful. I don't know what the podcast, the people listening. Oh, it was think, great. For me, it was great was talking useful. to you, Harry. Hope we get a chance to do this again. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.